episode 30, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Don Everts about his latest book, The Reluctant Witness. Don Everts is the Content Development Manager in the Global Ministries Division for Lutheran Hour Ministries. A poet and preacher at heart, Don speaks at conferences and churches across the country, inviting skeptics and believers alike to gaze at Jesus and be thrilled. Don spent the last 10 years working in the local church and the 14 years before that working on college campuses with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Whether in the church or on campus, Don has walked with non-Christians as they discover the person of Jesus and has worked with Christians in being able to fruitfully do the same in their own relationships. Step five in creating a lifestyle of discipleship is to make other disciples. But this is often the step that causes us the most fear. We're afraid of talking to a stranger about our faith. We don't want to say the wrong thing or be asked a question we don't know how to answer. Or be the one responsible for turning someone off to the gospel altogether. And so, we avoid spiritual conversations of any kind. But in this chapter, Don Everts helps us gain some peace of mind by giving us a better way to think about sharing our faith and making disciples. Another thing that you brought up early on in, the, in, this, um, in chapter one when you're talking about this, and I love that whole thing about digital media, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how we count those things. Because you, you begin chapter one with talking about you had to create this report for your evangelistic efforts that you, you had going on and uh, the college ministry that you, you were in. And so, because um, that's the other stigma that seems, at least for me in my experience growing up, that was always attached to sharing my faith, is it felt like you had to come to church every day and sort of present your report card and say, like, <laughs> this, is the, this is how many people I witnessed to this week. And then yeah. if you didn't witness to enough, then you sort of felt bad about it. And so a, a lot of those images you sort of evoked when you were telling that story. But at the same time, the reasons you were giving for doing that, yeah. I was like, wow, that's actually a really good reason. Like it's so yeah. can you can you maybe tell us a little bit about that story and then walk us through why we should be tracking our evangelistic efforts or our spiritual conversations? Yeah, you know, the story was, you know, I was a campus pastor and my supervisor was asking me to kind of report, you know, how did the last month go and what all did you do? Which, you know, from a supervisor seems like a really reasonable thing thing to ask. But it got weird. It got weird to kind of, you know, try to quantify um ministry, uh, on the one hand, but in particular, uh, as someone who had not done a lot of quote unquote evangelistic activity, well, you know, there was a whole question dedicated to that and it felt weird and it felt odd. And, uh, and, and, you know, all these defensive uh, postures came up and wanting to, uh, defend myself. It's not about numbers. It's about any one person, et cetera, et cetera. So I was pretty defensive about that, but you know, what we see in the New Testament is that the early church was very comfortable reflecting on their uh, salt and light-edness, right? They were very comfortable reflecting on how are we doing in what God has called us to, to do, which is to make other disciples and to, to be witnesses. And he called us to that. How are we doing with that? And it wasn't out of any—and maybe this is where our experience as kids can get to us— 
it wasn't out of what you see in the New Testament is any, isn't any sort of like out guilt motivation or like your worth is determined by this. It, it was out of here's who we are. Like we are the, the, the disciples of Jesus. And part of what that means is that we share that with other people. How are we doing? How are we doing? Uh, and so, and, and that's one of the things that I think the research has done for us, Chris and Josh, is hold up a mirror to us and help us as a church say, how are we doing? Because in the aggregate, uh, what the research tells us, it holds up this really big mirror and it tells us we're not, the cat's got our tongue. Like we, we are not, we're not even talking with each other about our faith with Jesus. We're not, we're not even walking with other disciples in our everyday life. And it's just natural to talk about what's Jesus doing in your life. And you know, how is he growing you and all we're, we're not even doing that. And so it, it is helpful for us to get honest about how we're doing. Um, now in terms of, you know, what, what counts and all that, that that's another question, which is fascinating because what counts when Christianity is really in season may be a little bit different than what counts now uh, and what what it takes for us to be sharing Jesus with others, frankly, has changed in 25 years. And, and we need to adjust and adapt to that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm always a proponent of, you know, what gets uh, measured gets managed, but I always have a real hesitation applying it to certain spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines and, and witnessing. Cause again, sure. they can turn legalistic really quickly. And, uh, yeah. it, it just seems to take some of the spirit of the thing out of it. Yeah. Like if I'm out evangelizing and I'm, and I'm counting, I've, I've kind of lost the purpose of evangelizing, which is the heart of God to save people. Yeah. And so I don't know, for me tracking it sometimes is kind of, seem to want to take out the, the spirit of the thing too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so I like what you're saying. It's this biblical approach of looking at your life sort of in the, through the lens of the new Testament. And you're sort of going through the early uh, chapters of acts there and saying, no, no, no. It's not like I need to go out and witness so that I can mark down on a card. It's, it's just simply, it, it, it's a good reflection and it's a good look at your life and saying, well, what have I done this month or this right. week or, or whatever this year to, to really engage with people? Have I been reaching out? And then you can, you know, if you find yourself not measuring up to a certain standard that you would like to have, or, yeah. you, you know, or, or you're seeing missed opportunities, you can say, Hey, maybe I can be more attentive to those or more mindful of that's right. that situation and, and look at it. And, and so I think that's a really healthy perspective when approaching this topic, which is for most of us can be really troublesome when we get into it like that. That's so right. thank you for it. Yeah. Th yeah. You're welcome. And, and, and I agree. It's less about tracking and more about reflecting, you know, and, uh, and, and hashtag. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The bumper sticker right there. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and one of the things I've, you know, I grew up with this whole, like the, the, the notch on your belt as a Christian was, have you shared the gospel? Right. Which which meant something very specific. It meant, have you shared a summary of the gospel message with anyone? And that's what that meant. And that's what we counted. And that's, uh, uh, you know, you inspect what you expect. And so th th so my I grew up with this perception that sharing my faith is equivalent to awkwardly inserting a summary, a memorized summary of the gospel into whatever conversation I'm in, which is part of why. 
I was a reluctant conversationalist because like I like my friends too much to do that to them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't, and, and, um, you know, one of the things that has shifted as, as we've been moving and the faith is less in season, there are more and more people around us who are unreceptive to the Christian faith, who don't trust the church, who don't trust Christians, who don't trust, you know, the gospel. And, and given that context, one of the things that the research tells us is that, um, and, and this comes down to the people who are still talking a lot, the quarter of us who are eager conversationalists. One of the things that, that they have tapped into is that they are graciously adapting to wherever their conversation partner is. And so if, if the non-Christian that they're interacting with is unreceptive like, and distrustful, they're not trying to awkwardly kind of burp up a gospel summary into the conversation and make everyone feel awkward. If someone's unreceptive, our goal is to gain a hearing. That, that's it. Uh, and if we try to force something, they'll, it actually digs a deeper hole of distrust. And so, so I think the new, we need new belts. This is my takeaway from some of the research. Like we need to keep track of, you know, I built a, a little bridge of trust with a non-Christian in my life today. I, I gained a little bit of a hearing today. And maybe over time, a day will come that the spirit moves and they will actually be receptive to hearing about hear me talk about my faith. And, yes. that, and then when that day comes, then I'm going to graciously adapt to that and share about what Jesus has been doing in my life. And if eventually the spirit moves and they become a seeker and, and they like want to come to conclusions well, then I'm then I'm going to pull out a summary of the gospel. Like, here's the core, because people who are seeking, they need help understanding the core of the gospel. So, yeah, I, I think we you know, if we're going to if we're going to track anything, let's track things that are actually fruitful and helpful. <laughs> for the <people> <laughs> Good. Um, you know, in all of that, we've got. So. Previous. In, through the 50s and 60s, there was this huge emphasis on the church in the in the in the church that Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, which which really shaped and informed our eschatology, and I believe it really shaped and informed how we went about evangelizing. Yeah. Have you found any kind of a correlation between our shift uh, in moving toward this? Have I just had this simple conversation with somebody rather than giving them the, the summary of the gospel mm-hmm. dump right on their lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, has, have you found any correlation between that and, and maybe some of our views on eschatology views on what God is doing in the world and maybe the eminence of his return is, is, is that, are there any correlations there that you found? Let, let, let me tell you one correlation we did find that relates somewhat. It's not quite the override overrealized eschatology or underrealized, but beliefs about the afterlife and salvation. So one of the statistically meaningful differences between eager conversationalists and reluctant ones, uh, and there, there were five that we found, five ways that people, Christians who are still talking about their faith a lot are different than Christians who aren't. And one of them has to do with what they believe about sin and salvation and the cross and the afterlife. In other words, the more you have an orthodox understanding of sin, namely that we're all fallen uh, and that we all need saving, that Jesus on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, that atones for our sins, and that the only way to spend eternity with God is to be redeemed by Jesus. 
that's that's like non-controversial historically speaking that is non-controversial orthodox biblical teaching about sin and salvation eager conversationalists are more likely to believe that than reluctant conversationalists and so you know the researchers won't not to get too technical but they won't they won't point to causality, like what causes what, but there is a correlation. And so, and so I, feel, I feel comfortable saying that what you believe about eternity and about salvation and about heaven and hell affects how often you get into spiritual conversations. That's a little bit different than the imminent sure, sure. And, the, and the urgency, but, uh, but, but there is the sense that ideas have consequences and what we believe about our good news and what we believe about the bad news that precedes our good news um, does affect our conversational habits. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, feel free to push back on this mm -hmm. if you want, but I sort of look at this and this is sort of my own belief. And, and I think sometimes this might have a tendency to make me reluct a reluctant witness as the book is titled, yeah. um, which is, I, I love the beginning, you know, you're talking about the, um, these earlier conversations before we jump right into the, uh, to the meat of it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you got hit by a bus today, where are you going to go to right, yeah. heaven or hell? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but looking at our task or our goal as to make disciples instead of simply get people saved, because then yes. the, good, that good. process can begin during those conversations that we are making them as disciples, even though they haven't made that decision. They're not fully disciples yet. They haven't, you know, they're not following Christ. But with that simple shift, is there any correlation in that as well of people who see themselves as maybe over the long haul of that, uh, that, that journey with them to become disciples rather than just make a decision? Yeah, we didn't find that, but we, we didn't uh, find anything on that specifically in the research, but I intuitively agree with you because uh, if if it's all about, you, you know, what, one of the things that I found over time is that, is that we tend to think of in binary terms, you're either not a Christian or you're a Christian. And one of the things that the research does help us uh, discern is that the conversion so no matter what you believe about conversion, you know, God's sovereignty, et cetera, et cetera. But conversion is a process. It really is a process. And, and it isn't this, you know, I think in the 50s and 60s or, or, or there was a time when it was like it's you're either not a Christian or you're a Christian. If you're not, I have one goal. And the plane flight is only two hours. So in two hours, I got to get you to flip the switch, sign your name on this diagram I drew on the napkin, the cocktail napkin. And, 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 I, and I think that comes from a sense of like it is binary. But what we've learned is that the act of conversion is deeply mysterious, right? God, you know, no one can come, can come to Jesus unless the Father calls them. Absolutely. But what we know experientially and through research is that it's through a process. And, 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 and that people are unreceptive and they become receptive. They become seekers. And, then they, and, and, and being able to discern where someone is in their journey and meet them where they are and try to help them take the next step may feel to some people as less faithful because you're not like, you know, turn on the heat, you know, and get them, get them to cross the line. But it's actually, you, you know, Paul in Colossians, uh, he, he, he wrote, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And he meant by that non-Christians. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And he said, making the best use of the time. So there was a sense of urgency. Uh, and, and he said, uh, always having your speech uh, salted with grace, figuring out how to answer each person. 
That's what Paul said to do, right? And so we need to walk in wisdom. We it, it may feel faithful to like awkwardly like bang someone with a Bible and say, you repent now. That may feel faithful and risky for us to do, but it might not actually be wise. And Paul calls us to be wise in how we walk with outsiders, to, to make the best use of the moments we have with them, to figure out how to answer where they are. And so so I think our understanding of discipleship definitely overlays with our understanding of what it means to become a disciple. Because as you guys, I mean, your whole ministry, your whole ministry is that discipleship is this organic thing that happens over time. And, and, and it's more like a garden and it's not like a microwave. And, and, and that should inform our understanding of the very first act of discipleship, which is coming to faith. Step five in creating a lifestyle of discipleship is to make other disciples. When you hear that, don't hear, you have to get someone to pray and accept Jesus as Lord. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, I planted, Apollo swatted, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. One of the things today that makes witnessing so difficult is that we think we have to close the deal and get someone to pray the sinner's prayer. It's great to be a part of that moment of decision, but I want to challenge you to think differently about your role today. Discipleship and the mark of a lifestyle of discipleship is a desire to bring others along with you as you follow Christ. Sometimes that means being with someone when they make the decision but other times it may simply mean telling them how thankful you are for God's provision in your life. Because in all of this, God is the one who produces the growth. And that moment of decision didn't come in isolation. It was the result of God's work in their life from the moment they were born. So the next conversation you have with someone who isn't a Christian, let go of the pressure to get them to decide. Instead, walk in wisdom, season your conversation with grace, and join that person where they're at, recognizing God is already at work in their life. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Don and his work, check out lhm.org. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Don debunks five myths people have about spiritual conversations. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Oh, 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 oh,